Good morning. I'm going to read from Romans 3, 27 through 31. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It's based on faith. So we are made right with God by obeying, sorry, we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. After all, is God a God of the Gentile? Is God a God of the Jews only? No, he's also God of the Gentiles. There is only one God and he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. Well then, if we emphasize faith, does that mean we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. Amen. It was a year ago this past week that I'm sure a, a week that we all remember uh, far too well. Uh, the borderline shooting happened over in Thousand Oaks. Uh, the Woolsey fire uh, quickly took off right in our hills around us. The campfire up north. These were events that happened that, that caused untold grief, untold pain, untold loss. And then this week, right here in Simi Valley, a murder, suicide, bomb threat? I mean, we're the safest community in the country or something like that, right? Events that are so wrong and make us ask questions, questions like, what is wrong with us? What is wrong with this world? Anybody ask that, asking that right along? What is wrong? And how in the world can this, can this world ever be made right? How can all these messed up, twisted, evil things ever be corrected? That's a question that we've been asking in our series on Romans these past weeks. And we look at that question again today. Now, remember a few weeks back, we wrote out uh, these cards on the side walls. If you're fairly new to Cornerstone, you wonder why we keep trash hanging on our walls. Um, but uh, if you were here several weeks ago, you know that we were to write down on those cards things that made us afraid, things that made us heartbroken, things that made us sad, Things like mass shootings, things like wildfires, things like loneliness and abuse. I, I came in here this week and I read through a lot of the cards again just to see what it was you are expressing uh, concern over. And, and, and in the context of that, we considered how to make those things right. How, how do we do that? How do we right all those evil things? Now, seeing the, the, the concept of seeing things made right is one way to understand this word righteousness that Paul uses a lot in Romans. Sometimes it's translated justified, uh, but it can also be understood as rightness, not just righteousness, but rightness, uh, or, or the idea of making things right. So how can all these awful things be made right? Paul has been explaining in, in the text that, um, get my name off of there, um, Paul's been explaining that our, our own efforts, our own works, won't work. For the Jews, it was, it was following the law or physical circumcision. Those things will not make us right or make the world right. We need a righteousness from God, and we only get his righteousness by faith. I, I want to I read uh, chapter 3, verses 20 through 22. I didn't put it in my notes because I wasn't planning on doing this, but, but look at 3.20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified or made right in his sight, since through one law comes the knowledge of sin, through the law. But now the righteousness of God, the rightness of God, 
has been manifested apart from the law, apart from works and efforts, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So faith is how this rightness comes about. Let me, let me put a definition of faith up here on the screen. Faith is, is the idea of trusting Jesus alone, trusting him alone. Faith is the idea, has the idea of surrendering our will to his will. When we have faith in Jesus, we give up our will and our way, and we go by his way. It's proclaiming our allegiance to him. It's complete dependence on Jesus and his work for our salvation and for life and for living. So then Paul comes to verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 27, and he asks a pertinent question, like Jen, Jen just read. Then what becomes of our boasting? This word boasting, it can, it can also be used in a positive way. This is kind of a negative sense of it. The word can, can mean rejoicing in something or boasting in something or glorying in something. Sometimes it has a positive sense. Here it's definitely negative. So what becomes of our boasting, Paul says? That is boasting about how I can make things right myself. He's talking to the Jews. These Jews know that they were dependent. The Jews were depending on the law, on circumcision, on all these external things. And Paul's saying they won't do you a bit of good. So what becomes of our boasting? Well, how, how do we tend to boast about making things right in our life or in the world? And there's two different areas that I want us to see this morning where we can boast in our own efforts. And I want us to see both of these today. First of all, we can boast in our own efforts in terms of gaining salvation. Secondly, we can boast in, in our efforts in living the Christian life. Now, salvation, by definition, is making things right with God. It's being redeemed out of slavery. It's, it's the, our sin is dealt with. The, the, the gulf that exists between us and God is no longer there. Our relationship is restored. Things are made right. Now, if salvation is not a work of God alone, then I have some part in it. And if I have some part in it, then I can boast about my good part. What a good decision I made. I chose Jesus. Uh, look how smart I am. I weighed all the options and picked the best one. And so we can boast about how good we are. But it's not just salvation. It's also living the Christian life, serving in the church, trying to right all those wrongs that are written on the cards and others in the world. If we're doing that in our own strength, our own efforts, then we can boast in our good works. Look what I did. Look at all the effort I put into uh, stopping human trafficking. Look how good I am. Look at all the work I am doing to stop poverty. The problem is we can't make things right in ourselves. We can't fix anything ourselves. None of our efforts will ever right the world. I can't even choose the smaller piece of pizza without divine intervention of the Holy Spirit. Right? I can't even choose to eat healthy without the Holy Spirit empowering me and enabling me to say no to this and yes to this. So how in the world are we going to solve the problems of the world and our own strength if we can't even do that? So what becomes of our boasting? Paul answers in, the, in verse 27, it is excluded. 
There is no place for boasting because there is nothing I can do in my own flesh apart from Jesus working in me. Let me repeat that. There is no place for boasting or glorying in myself because there is nothing I can do in myself apart from Jesus doing the work in me. Now let's unpack our text some more this morning. Let's see, I want us to see three reasons why boasting should be excluded from our lives. First reason is because making things right is all of faith. It's not our own works, not our own efforts. Being made right with God in terms of salvation is by faith in what he has done. It's not by any effort or work that I do. I can't work my way into salvation. And serving him, ministering in the church, doing good works is all done in his power, not my own strength, not my own abilities. It's all by faith. So let me read 27 and 28 of chapter 3. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law, and the word law here probably is better understood as like principle. So, so by, a law, by a principle of works? No, but by the law or the principle of faith. For we hold that one is justified or made right by faith apart from the works of the law. Now let me ask you a question. And this is, this is you can do some interaction here. What's the opposite of boasting? Humility? That's it? <laughs> That's all you got? Opposite of boasting. Gosh, I can't hear anything. Quiet. Is that what you said, Dan? Just be quiet? Everybody, me? You want me to be quiet? Giving credit to others. Opposite of boasting. Okay, humility wasn't too bad, but, but let me suggest to you that the opposite of boasting is faith. Somebody say that. All right. Those of you that said faith, pat yourselves on the back. Good job. The opposite of boasting is faith. How so? Right, let me go back to that slide, the definition. Faith is trust. Faith is surrendering my will, my desires. It's giving allegiance to God. It's depending on God fully for everything. Kind of sounds like humility, doesn't it? It's saying, I can't do it. I don't have anything to offer. I, 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 am, I am nothing in myself. And so the, I, I'm going to suggest to you the opposite of boasting is faith, but humility was, was right. One Bible scholar calls faith Helpless trust. I've been thinking about that, mulling over that phrase for a couple weeks. Helpless trust. I wasn't sure I liked it at first, but I do, the more I think of it. I am helpless, so I must trust in God's good work to make things right in my life and in the world. So therefore, I have nothing to boast about. I place my faith in the fact that Jesus paid the full price to deal with my sin. His, his blood that he shed on the cross is absolutely sufficient and complete to redeem me from slavery to sin. And there's nothing more that I can do or need to do. He has finished the work. It is done. It is complete. But this is so hard to accept, isn't it? 
we feel like we can't not try. Anybody there? Like, I gotta do something. Something to please God, to be accepted by God, to repay God. I gotta do something to make things right in the world. But Paul is not saying here that we just prop up our feet, watch TV, and do nothing, and let God do it all. That's not what he's saying here. Let me try to explain, <laughs> try, emphasis on try, how faith works for both salvation and in living the Christian life. First of all, in terms of salvation, it's all a work of God. He did the cross work. He chose us to receive his grace. He draws us to himself. And then he puts a spark of life in us by the Holy Spirit so that we can respond to the, to the invitation to come to him. And my work, my effort, if you will, is to surrender my will completely to his will, accept what he has done by faith, that it is completed and finished, and I don't need to do anything else. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, understand that he has done all the work. You don't have to be good first, or let me, let me, get, my, let me get my life cleaned up, then I'll come to Jesus. Well, first of all, you can't clean up your life. And secondly, Jesus never asked you to do that because he says, I will clean your life up. And I'd rather have him do it than me do it. You don't have to stop all your bad habits. You don't, you don't need to do anything to be saved. Your, your work, your effort is to believe and trust and surrender your life and give allegiance to him and him alone. And then once you are saved, you don't have to work or exert some effort in order to stay saved. There's no annual dues. There's no signing a pledge. Once a year, I commit to keep on doing this. He keeps us by his power and, and his grace and his strength, not by our own efforts. Now, we will do works of ministry. James 2 makes it clear that we would demonstrate our faith by our good works. So let's talk about how we live this Christian life by faith. How does that work? We don't, we don't get saved. We don't stay saved by works. But if we're truly born again, truly followers of Jesus, there will be good works. Living by faith doesn't mean we don't work hard at ministry, we don't work hard at sharing Christ, we don't work hard at serving in the church, we don't, we don't work hard, I mean, it, it, that didn't come out right. Um, it doesn't, that's too negative, so I'm going to change that. Living by faith means we still work hard. We still keep doing these things. But it does mean that we need to be honest with ourselves that the hard work we do in ministry is by faith in God doing the work through us. It's not our own efforts. It's not our own work. Now, what's this look like? Look at, look at a couple of Old Testament passages. Zechariah 4.6. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Not, not by your strength, not by your ability, not by your wisdom, not by your power, but by the, by the work of the Holy Spirit in me. We'll get to Romans 8 here in a few years, um, <laughs> months. And Romans 8 is all about living in the Spirit. 
and what this looks like. Paul talks about the same idea in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned each. I planted, Paul says, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Yes, we work. Yes, we plant seed. Yes, we water seed, but not in my own strength, flaunting my amazing gifts, boasting in how talented I am. God is the one who does the work of the Holy Spirit working in me. If we work in our own strength where it's all my effort and all my work, then I can boast at what I did and I rob God of his glory. Now, let me try to illustrate this with my own efforts at preaching. This is very, very personal and relevant right here standing in front of you. I worked hard at preparing this sermon. I studied, I read commentaries, I outlined the passage, I printed out notes, edited them, threw them away, printed out more notes. Uh, my wife read my notes, gave her comments a couple times. Uh, we discussed this in, for a couple hours in our sermon prep meeting every week that we have. Uh, I got a lot of input from numerous people, put a lot of work and a lot of hours into preparing this. Yay me. I'm not boasting. Believe me, because this sermon speaks to what I'm talking about. But I also prayed like crazy. Other people have been praying for me and are praying for me. Asking God to guide my thinking, guide my study, guide my direction, guide my speaking, knowing full well that this sermon is a bunch of wasted effort if God doesn't take the feeble sounds of my voice and apply them to my heart, first of all, and then to your heart. If my goal is to impress you all, I suppose I could do that. I could use big words and flowery language and be eloquent and articulate. I'm not sure I could do all that, but say I could. And, and you'd be impressed and not changed one bit. But if my goal is for all of us to have our hearts changed and to be drawn closer to Christ-likeness and fall more in love with Jesus, which is my goal, then only the Holy Spirit working can do that. I can't do that. I am planting. I am watering. But God is the one who causes anything to grow. Now, the same is true in whatever ministry you're involved in, in this church or outside this church. Whether you're an usher or a children's ministry worker or a student ministry worker or on the worship team or working on the parking lot teams or leading a community group or whatever your area of ministry is, you must do it in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in your own strength. So if you're working the parking lot, you should be praying before you come to church that God would use you in that area, not do it in your own strength and your own ability, but he would use you to be a blessing to people. We exclude boasting by praying, by trusting, by faith, by asking God to do the work. Yes, we're faithful with the task he has given us, but if our ministry and our work and our efforts are going to have any kind of kingdom benefit, he has to do the work through us for his glory, not for my agenda. Which means, write this theological point down, we got to get over ourselves. 
It's not about us. Which leads to the second reason boasting is excluded from our lives. Because making things right is all about God and His glory. And making things right is something that God has offered to every single person. Look at verse 29. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith, the Jews, and the uncircumcised through faith, the Gentiles. There's only one God, and he is the only one who can justify or make right anyone who comes to him by faith. God's out to get the glory for himself and any efforts or work that we do on our own and can therefore boast about is idolatry. Look at these Old Testament passages. Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to anyone else, nor share my praise with carved idols. God doesn't, he's not, he doesn't want to share his glory with anybody. And so I, if I work hard and do things in my own effort and I can boast in glory in that, I'm robbing God of his glory. Jeremiah 9, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Paul cites these verses in Jeremiah in 1 Corinthians 1.31. He says, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So how do we live this way? What's this, what's this look like? How, you know, you leave here today and say, okay, I'm going to do that. And, and, and if you say, I'm going to do I'm going to try harder. Whoa. We can only live this way if our heart has been transformed on the inside. That's what Paul's been talking about all through these first three chapters. There must be an internal change in our heart, in our life, such that our desires and our passions and our actions are honestly and passionately to please the God who changed us. Living the Christian life is not about doing all these external actions like being a Jew or being a Christian or being a member of Cornerstone. There's no, there's no making right in those things. It's about having our hearts completely transformed on the inside, and only God can do that. Look back at Romans 2, 28 and 29, just up in the previous chapter uh, where Terry was a couple weeks ago. And I want to paraphrase these verses. I want to add uh, a thought from Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And I, with apologies to Paul, I want to paraphrase these verses so that we kind of grasp them. Uh, it won't read this way in your Bible, so I'm going to put it up on the screen. Follow along here. For no one is a Christian or a follower of Jesus who is merely one outwardly, nor is serving in the church only outward and physical. But a real Christian, a real follower of Jesus, is one inwardly. And serving and doing ministry is a matter of the heart, which can only be changed by the Spirit, not by some legalistic external rule following. This all comes about by grace through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works or effort so that no one may boast. We're saved by faith. We live by faith. We serve by faith. Things in the world that are so wrong will be made right 
by faith. And remember, faith is surrendering our will. Faith is allegiance to God alone. Faith is absolute dependence on God to do the work of making things right, first of all in my life and then to the world at large. And understand, we can do this because we know that he is the only God. He is one God, one God of all people. And he is completely and totally and utterly faithful. We can count on him. We can surrender to him. We can swear our allegiance to him. We can depend on him. And he will never, never fail. Never. Now, he might act slower than we wish. He might do things differently than we like. But he will never fail to do right and make all things right in his time. Even as I come to preach occasionally, when I do, and I've worked hard and I've prayed hard, and, and what I count on, what I bank on every time I'm up here or teach in any other setting is God is faithful. He was faithful before, he'll be faithful now, and he'll be faithful tomorrow. It's not about me. It's not about my efforts or my work. It's about his faithfulness. The third reason that boasting is excluded from our lives is because the very best efforts of humanity will never work to make things right. So we can't boast in what we've done. Uh, verse 31 of Romans 3. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. We support the law. The Old Testament law was the best system ever, and it didn't make things right. The American system might be the best system in the modern world, and it's not working to make things right. We will never make America great again apart from the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. Right? Amen. The best America has to offer will not stop mass shootings or crime or hate or murder. The problem is that no system will ever work if our hearts aren't changed. And only God can change our hearts, so we can never boast about doing anything in our own strength because the only solution is something that only God can do. And so, get this, get this, when we do exert work and effort in ministry, it should be for the purpose of seeing people come to Jesus and grow and becoming more like Jesus. That is our only hope to see things made right. Let's go back to the beginning of time and see how this, this story plays out. God created a perfect world. Nothing needed to be made right because everything was right. And then Adam and Eve sinned, and when they did, they thrust the entire creation into sin. Everything was messed up, and it needed to be made right. There was murder, there was hate, there was immorality, there was envy. All of the things that Paul lists in Romans chapter 1 and a whole lot more. The world was a mess. The world is so messed up that God totally destroyed all humanity except for Noah and his family and did a restart. But if you know the story of Noah, things went south really fast after the flood dried up. Because the issue was people's wicked, heart, wicked hearts. But God had a plan all along to make things right. He called Abraham and he made the nation of Israel out of Abraham. But even Abraham tried to fulfill God's plan in his own efforts, in his own way, and totally blew it. And if you don't know that part of the story, read Genesis 16. But Abraham did believe God. 
He did trust him by faith in spite of his failures. Next week in chapter 4, Paul's going to go there. Paul's going to go and explain that Abraham, who lived before the law, was justified by faith. God gave Israel the best possible system ever. The law, the temple, the structure of the civil civil system. It was the best. It was better than American democracy. It was a system that laid out God's will and desire for all mankind. Verse 31 tells us the principle of faith upholds or supports the law. Faith is the logical conclusion of the law. But because people's hearts were still trapped in sin, they could not obey the law. There was no way. The best system ever wasn't going to work. And so God sent his son Jesus. He loved us so much, these messed up human beings that kept blowing it and blowing it and failing and failing, that he was willing to sacrifice his only son, which was the only way things would ever be made right. Because Jesus is the only one who can change our hearts from the inside out and transform us. Jesus alone can give us what the law required, and he has completely fulfilled the law. And if we are in Jesus, we've we've identified with him, and, and we fulfill the law. Jesus changes us by faith, not by any effort in our part. We have to believe, we have to trust, we have to surrender, we have to depend and swear our allegiance to him. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you can take that step of surrender this morning. The best systems ever are not good enough. There are no solutions to making things right besides the work of Jesus and changing the hearts of people. So boasting in our own works is absolutely excluded. Billy, I'm going to ask Billy and Emily to come back up as we prepare to respond to this this morning. I want to call your attention again to the cards on the wall. We're not going to fix the things that are on those cards by our own work and our own efforts. The only solution is for the gospel to change and transform the hearts of people. So what I want us to do this morning in response is to, is to when, they, when, when I stop here, go and read the cards. Just walk over. Uh, they're all up and down both sides here and read the cards. Maybe find your own card if you wrote one out. Uh, leave them there. We're going to use them again. Maybe take a picture of a couple of those cards that, that really resonate with you. We learned a couple weeks ago that kneeling can express uh, humbling ourselves before God or it can express earnest appeal. So after you read the cards, if you're able, take some time and kneel down and respond in, in one of these two ways. Maybe you've tried to make things right on your own, using your own efforts and your own energy. Maybe you've served or ministered uh, the church uh, to advance your own agenda. Um, confess that. Or, or maybe what you want to do is take that, that situation that's on that card and earnestly appeal to God that he would powerfully intervene in that situation because no effort or work of any human system or any human being will ever right that problem, but God can change it. And so spend some time confessing, praying, kneeling as God leads your heart. And uh, then we'll sing the close in a little bit. So go ahead, take, take some time and go take a look at those cards.